Hello, and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast for the Lancet Neurology. It's August 2021, and I'm Gavin Cleaver. An article in our new issue this month looks at the developing understanding of biomarkers for Alzheimer's disease, specifically plasma phosphorylated tau-217 and phosphorylated tau-181. The paper looks at these biomarkers as evidence for Alzheimer's disease and frontotemporal lobar degeneration. One of the authors of the paper, Professor Adam Boxer, is an endowed professor in memory and ageing in the Department of Neurology at the University of California, San Francisco, and he also directs UCSF's Neurosciences Clinical Research Unit and the Alzheimer's Disease and Frontotemporal Degeneration Clinical Trials Programme. He joins me today to discuss his latest work. Professor Boxer, welcome to the podcast. Perhaps we can start by talking about these biomarkers, phosphorylated tau-217 and phosphorylated tau-181. Why are biomarkers in Alzheimer's and in frontotemporal lobar degeneration so important as an area of research at the moment? So uh, our current diagnostic process for Alzheimer's disease, which is the most common form of dementia in the world, really now uh, requires that we use a some sort of biomarker to confirm the diagnosis or to confirm that the underlying cause of someone's dementia syndrome is due to a particular biological process. And for many years, people have been able to use spinal fluid tests that require a lumbar puncture that can look at proteins like beta amyloid and tau to help confirm that the cause of dementia is Alzheimer's disease. And more recently, there are PET scans like amyloid PET or tau PET scans that are also, at least in the United States, approved by the FDA for a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. But as we think about the the magnitude of the problem of, of dementia and the number of people who are potentially affected or at risk, it becomes really hard to use tests like a, a lumbar puncture to diagnose Alzheimer's disease because many patients don't wish to undergo that sort of procedure because of its invasiveness. And also many primary care or general practice physicians don't have the time or the expertise to do this routinely. For PET scans, they can really be quite expensive. And at least in the United States, they're not paid for by, for instance, by our national Medicare system. So an advantage of blood tests is that with some of the newer blood tests that we studied, the diagnostic accuracy is very similar to what one would get with a lumbar puncture or with a PET scan, but the ease of getting the test is much, much, you know, it's much, much easier because it's just a blood test. And so um, it could be deployed much more widely and, and even in remote areas where there's no expertise. And it's also much less expensive than a test like a PET scan. So why have you chosen these two potential biomarkers for your research, which are tau 217 and 181? So we're not the first ones to do this work, but there are a number of different blood tests that have been studied over the past four or five years. And some of the blood tests look at beta amyloid, which is associated with Alzheimer's disease. And more recently, people have used looked at tau or phosphorylated tau. And we and others in the past have shown that the phosphorylated tau tests uh, seem to be potentially a little bit more accurate 
And they also have other advantages over the beta amyloid test because the difference between someone who has an abnormal test value and a normal test value is, is the magnitude of that difference is much larger. So uh, one could envision that if this is deployed into a clinical laboratory, if there's some error associated with the measurement, it's much likely to be a, a phosphorylated tau test is much more likely to be robust because the, the, what's considered abnormal is much more different than with a beta amyloid test. The other reason why uh, we've really focused on phosphorylated tau is there are concerns with some of the other types of tests like beta amyloid that how you collect the blood and process it may affect the results, whereas with phosphorylated tau, it seems to be a lot more robust and uh, may, again, be easier to use and deploy more widely. So how did you measure them? And as well, talking about your study, who did you decide to include in the study and what more generally did you compare? So our study really follows a previous study that we published last year and some work from some of our uh, co-authors, including Oscar Hansen, where uh, initially we looked at uh, the phosphorylated tau 181 test. And 181 means that one of the protein residues on the tau molecule, uh, residue number 181, is phosphorylated, and the test detects that. And that looked to be a very in the previous work, so it was shown to be a very good diagnostic test for Alzheimer's disease using an immunologic-based assay on the mesoscale platform. And then uh, subsequently, one of our other collaborators and co-authors, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Dage, developed a newer uh, uh, immunoassay for a, a different form of phosphorylated tau called phosphotau-217 that we also studied in this paper. And in previous work, there uh, was a suggestion that phosphorylated tau-217 was significantly more accurate than phosphorylated tau-181 in, in a variety of different scenarios. Uh, but the concern with the previous work was that the tests were not designed to be comparable. So the phosphorylated tau-217 uh, test used one immunologic method, whereas most of the data on the 181 test used a completely different method called SAMOA. And so many of us were concerned that the differences that were seen really may have not reflected actually the form of tau that was being measured, but just something about the test characteristics. And this was supported by other work from other investigators using a different technology called mass spectrometry, which is thought to be quite a bit more accurate, but is also much more difficult to uh, use and more expensive. So really, we think that these immunoassays may be really what will eventually find their way into the clinic. And finding which one is the best and understanding the differences between the assays is really important because we think um, right now that phosphorylated tau-217 is the most likely one to be useful clinically and, and may uh, find its way into the clinic within the next few years. So for this study, we looked at historical cases that were collected either at the uh, UCSF Memory and Aging Center or through a national network in North America called Advancing Research and Treatment for Frontotemporal Lobar Degeneration. Uh, some of the patients had Alzheimer's disease or mild cognitive impairment. Some were healthy individuals who had undergone other biomarker studies such as amyloid or tau-PET or CSF studies. And many of the patients had different forms of frontotemporal lobar degeneration, including genetic forms that we know sometimes are caused by tau or other uh, abnormalities. And so we compared the performance of the 181 
uh, phosphorylated tau 181 test to the phosphorylated tau 217 test. But for this study, which was different than all the previous studies, there was the tests were specially designed to be nearly identical except for the antibody that detected the phosphorylated epitope. And so here we could now really have a much better direct comparison of the performance. So yeah, what were your key findings then? So the key findings were that both phosphorylated tau-217 and phosphorylated tau-181 were really excellent diagnostic tools and were very, very accurate, for instance, in differentiating Alzheimer's disease patients from frontotemporal lobar degeneration patients when they're diagnosed clinically with areas under the curve on receiver operating curve statistics of up to uh, 0.97, which is really, really excellent. And also, uh, since many of our patients had undergone uh, autopsies and we had neuropathologically confirmed diagnoses, both of these tests were also very good at differentiating autopsy confirmed, which is really the gold standard diagnostic tool, Alzheimer's disease from frontotemporal lobar degeneration. But what we found was that there were subtle differences between the performance of phosphorylated tau-217 in, in blood compared to phosphorylated tau-181 in that phosphorylated tau-217 was slightly better in certain scenarios. And particularly, uh, this was in the autopsy-confirmed cases. And also, when we compared the performance of the blood test with brain scans that used a a tau-sensitive PET tracer called fortalsapir, the correlations were a bit stronger with phosphorylated tau-217, although they were also quite strong with 181. Well, it sounds like some interesting correlations. What are some of the limitations that are worth bearing in mind in this study? So one important limitation is that these were a single measurement in each individual. So this was a cross-sectional study. Uh, It was not longitudinal. and, And one real potential advantage of using these blood tests is that one could do successive measurements in the same individual, you know, uh, over the course of time or even, you know, over the course of a few days to get more accurate uh, measurements or to learn about changes over time. And this is, we didn't do that in the study, although others are now working on that. Another limitation of this work is that the majority of individuals who were included in the study were white, and there was a low representation of different underrepresented populations, such as African-American, you know, uh, Latinx, Asian, or Native American populations. And so um, really a lot more work needs to be done to study the performance of these tests in more diverse communities. So talking about more work to be done, what are the next steps towards using these biomarkers in practice? So a third limitation that I didn't mention just now oh, is sorry. that uh, these were, yeah, that, well, no, it's good. You set me up. Is that uh, these were research laboratory versions of the tests. So they were developed in a research laboratory. But uh, at least in the United States, there are standards for clinical laboratory tests that are much higher in terms of their test retest reliability and, and their correlation with other sort of gold standard tools. And that's called CLIA certification. So if we want to use one of these tests clinically, then it has to be done in what's called a CLIA-certified lab or done to CLIA standards. And so these higher quality versions of these tests are now being developed. And so before they become widely clinically available, at least in in, uh, the U.S., they'll have to be at this higher standard. But um, I think that work is progressing quite quickly. And so hopefully, again, within a few years, uh, that will be a possibility. 
Well, that's good to hear. It sounds positive all around. Professor Boxer, thank you so much for, for speaking with me today on The Lancet Neurology. You're welcome. Thank you to Professor Boxer, and thanks to you for listening to this episode of In Conversation with a podcast for The Lancet Neurology. You can read our new issue online now at thelancet.com, and you can subscribe to this podcast by going to thelancetneurology.buzzsprout.com. That's thelancetneurology.buzzsprout.com, and following the links to the subscription platform of your choice. We'll see you again next month for more conversations.